I think people have a misconception that when you're doing TDD, you need to write a full-blown test, and then you need to write a lot of code to pass that test. And that's not what TDD is about. That's exactly the opposite that TDD preaches. So TDD is actually about... This is episode number 9 of 20 Minute JavaScript. We're one away from the Big Ten. As always, this episode is hosted by Open Replay, an open source session replay tool for front-end developers. If you're looking for a way to understand how your users interact with your application, check out Open Replay. I'm Fernando Doglio, your host and next-door neighbor, maybe, I guess, for the next 20 or so minutes. And today, we're going to be talking about front-end testing with Lucas da Costa. He's a Brazilian developer living in London whose work can be found in popular testing libraries such as Chai and Sinon.js. He's also written a book about the topic, Testing JavaScript Applications. So, Lucas, welcome. Thank you for being here, and please introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks for the invite, Fernando. Yeah, very happy to, to be here chatting with you. Yeah, absolutely. Please tell our audience, those who don't know you, uh, who you are, uh, a bit more, more in detail, please. Yeah, yeah. So, um, as you said, you know, I've I've worked with quite a few uh, testing libraries in the past. Uh, been a maintainer of Chai and Sinon. Uh, haven't been that present there uh, more recently, uh, but also sent some contributions to Jest uh, previously. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a software engineer, at Elastic. Uh, I've written a a book about testing as well. So I've written testing uh, JavaScript applications, which is published by Manning. And and yeah, really love um, common line interfaces, um, writing. Yeah, awesome. All right, that's and me. Yeah, uh, we're gonna be talking about testing today. Testing uh, web applications, actually. So um, let's get let's get down to it uh, because testing is a uh, a bit of a topic. You know, uh, a lot of people have different opinions on it. Even though I think that the literature is quite clear on you know what should uh, be considered testing and whatnot, but there are a lot of developers who take that as a loose guy and um, try to follow what comes in handy of those uh, instructions or of those uh, guides and then uh, forget about the rest. So I want to hear what you have to say about testing in general first, and then we'll get uh, down to, to the details. So Let's let's get started with uh, the basic. How do you define testing of a web application? Right. So I think that um, I see tests as experiments. So you're creating experiments to see if your application matches your expectations. So in the same way that you create hypotheses and I don't know physics uh, or any other natural science, and then you go and you make some experiments to see if, uh, well, like do these experiments contradict my hypothesis of reality? I think if testing the same way, you have a hypothesis about how your application works under certain conditions, and then you do a few tests to prove that not not that it does um, work exactly as you think, because you cannot prove that, but to prove that at least it does not contradict what you think. So um, you can, for example, not test a, a part of your application that has a bug. So you you cannot like you can never prove uh, that there is an input that will generate an error or anything like that, but you can at least try to contradict yourself and not be able to. So that's that's what I think about tests. That's okay. that's how I see them. Interesting view of it. Um, 
So how do you perform these tests? Uh, these uh, how do you check these hypotheses? Because I'm 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 sure we're not just talking about manual testing here. Yeah. So when when I test an application, what I try to do is I try to test image conditions, because given I know the the inside out, like my application inside out, I know what rules I've written in it. I can imagine what scenarios are more likely to fail when scientists are um, testing reality. Let's let's put it that way. Yeah. They can see the source code for reality, so they don't know exactly what to what to test for. So, because we can see what the source code is, we can try to imagine what are the the error scenarios that are more likely to happen, and then we can try to test for those. We can test every single possible scenario, but um, yeah, we we can test limit scenarios. So that's how I go about doing it, and I think that like we can we can chat about this later. Um, there's different kinds of tests which help you in different ways, and and yeah, I think that's that's how I I see it. I see it as um, trying to test for what is more likely to go wrong. That's how I how I go about it. Okay. Okay, and uh, but let, let's not let's chat now about the different types of tests. Uh, what are the ones that you deem like absolutely necessary, or not to implement on every project because maybe that that would be an overkill, but uh, to at least be aware of and know that those are tools that you have at your disposal. So I think that most people um, might be familiar with the testing pyramid where you have the unit tests, the integration tests, and the end-to-end tests. I also know that many people don't like that classification, uh, and there's like many people trying to come up with new terminology. But I quite like that, and not because of the terminology used for each part of the pyramid, but because I think of it as a spectrum, not exactly, you know... Uh, um, many like well-defined categories so and the if you if you were to think about this just for those that aren't familiar with the the pyramid on the bottom on the largest part you have the unit tests and then above it in the middle of the pyramid you have integration tests and on the top you have end-to-end tests and the way i see uh the pyramid is that as you go up you have more integration you're testing a larger part of your application and you're simulating user behavior more closely. And as you go down to the bottom, you're starting to test individual functions. You start getting closer to the code and to individual pieces of functionality. So unit tests are very numerous. That's why they're at the base of the pyramid. But they're also very close to your, to your functions. They're like really tightly coupled to your code, to, your, to a particular implementation. Then as you go up, they get more and more loosely coupled and you have fewer and fewer of them. So the more integrated your tests are, if you're testing an end-to-end test, like if you are writing an end-to-end test, because you're going to be testing a large part of your application anyway, you need to write fewer of them. That's why they're at the top. Um, And I I find that these tests, they have different utilities, as I mentioned. So when I'm writing code and I just want to have fast feedback, I'll, I'll go for unit tests. And then if I'm trying to I wouldn't say preview my application works because you can't, as I've mentioned. But if I'm trying to simulate user behavior more closely to get stronger guarantees, you know, be more confident in my application, I'll write end-to-end tests. Because if you imagine that an end-to-end test is actually, you know, some browser to automation framework, opening up a browser and clicking buttons and sending requests to your backend, 
and seeing if your web application responds correctly, that's as close as it gets to what users do. That's why you can be very confident that your application will work if you write those. You cannot be 100% sure, but you can be quite confident. However, if you write a unit test to test a single function in your application, you will have no idea whether that application will behave correctly for users. You just know that the function, given those particular inputs, returns some outputs. So, um, and there, there's integration tests as well in the middle of that. Um, so integration tests also give you more confidence than, than unit tests, and they're easier to write than end-to-end tests. So there's there's a place for them as well. So, you know, you might say that testing a React, rendering a React component and interacting with it without a browser, just, you know, simulating the DOM with JS DOM is an integration test. And, you know, I I would classify it as an integration test as well. And it provides quite good quality guarantees. It's not the same thing as running a real browser and then really clicking through things, but it's quite close. So, so yeah, I think um, knowing the difference and the benefits and... The, the pros and cons, really, of, of each of those can help people, you know, spend um, as little time as possible to be as confident as they can be. Because many people think that, you know, they should write many, many tests and that, you know, just writing many tests will prevent errors. But in fact, one needs to balance how much time they spend writing tests versus the benefit the tests give them. So knowing the types of tests and knowing how to balance those can, can help a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because otherwise, uh, yeah, you just, the, the, the return on investment, let's put it that way, uh, starts diminishing, uh, the, the more tests you implement. Um, out of all these three types, uh, the pyramid that, that you mentioned, um, do you th- Consider them all mandatory for for production ready uh, projects, and if so, do you think they are they should be like implemented from the get go? You should start your your project with tests uh, in place, or should they be like added sequentially and uh, throughout the, the 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 development process uh, to event- eventually reaching production? Yeah, so I do think tests are essential if you're going to maintain a project in production. If you're just writing, you know, toy code, playing around with a language, you might not want to write tests if you're going to write, you know, like just, I don't know, 100, 200, 300 lines of code. And if you're not going to touch that again, you know, that's fine. I, I think of tests as uh, an investment you're making. So you're investing time now so you can spend less time in the future testing the same things over and over again. So the more time you're going to have to maintain an application for, the more tests I would write. And you don't need to aim for 100% coverage, and we can talk about why I don't believe in 100% coverage in a bit. So you, you don't have to aim for that, but I would definitely add tests from the get-go. And it, they, you don't need to be as thorough if you're not going to maintain it for, for a while. But like, the more updates you do to it, and the more manual testing you're going to have to do in the future, it would you just have to spend a lot of time if you don't write tests. And also, writing tests as an add-on is very difficult because when you're writing tests, you worry about making your code testable. And if you don't write testable code, it's going to be a mess in the future to factor more and more code to be able to write tests. So if you're going to have to maintain something, I would start writing tests. 
Okay, interesting. And uh, when you say writing tests, you mean unit tests, or you're talking about also about uh, integration and end-to-end -end -end tests? So I think it depends on what phase of development you're in. Um, I would definitely write a few unit tests just so that you can get some quick feedback, because that it doesn't l seem like it will be hugely beneficial if you're getting started. You know, you think, oh, I'm going to be writing all these tests just for this, these small, these small functions, and I'm going to spend a lot of time doing that. But honestly, but like I personally spend a lot more time when I don't write tests. Because whenever I do a change, if I need to do manual testing, you know, the longer the change takes, the more time I'm wasting. Of course, if I'm going to do it like a small change, you know, if I'm going to change this, like the, the return message of, uh, you know, a certain route on my web server, fine, I can do the string, like the, the change first and then add some tests, you know. I don't believe there's a silver bullet, you know, always write tests first. Right. But I do believe that writing unit tests as you develop is very helpful. And then one of the things that I try to do as well is to write at least like a few end-to-end tests to prove that the functionality, if I'm adding some functionality or if I'm changing a significant piece of functionality works. And maybe that end-to-end test will be more like, I don't know, rendering the React component to JS DOM and testing it. Because, you know, as I've said, that's quite close to what happens in reality. So I would try to write a few new tests so I can get fast feedback when I'm developing and then writing tests higher up the pyramid to not prove something works, but to be confident that it will work. Cool. Okay. There are two topics I want to ask you about. So um, first, you said write tests while you write code. And I, I definitely think that's useful because of, especially because of what you said, that the code kind of, uh, you, you're forced to make the code, st code testable, which doesn't always happen if you don't if you don't consider tests during development. But taking that to extreme, to the extreme, would you uh, are you uh, someone who recommends TDD as a practice, or do you not believe that's that provides a significant uh, put a benefit to the development process? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely like TDD, and I I try to always always follow it. Like as I've mentioned, if I'm just changing a small string, you know, I might write yeah. write a test after. I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna. Um, say, oh, I always do TDD in every single situation because I don't think there's anything that applies to every single situation. You know, the 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 more time you're in this role, you start to understand that there's no silver bullet. Absolutely. You know, the, it always depends. Yeah. But um, I try to like do TDD as much as I can, especially when I'm going to spend a significant amount of time developing a new feature or fixing a bug or or something like that. So I think that the reason many people don't like TDD, and for those don't, that don't know. TDD, um, many people think of it as writing tests first and then writing some code to pass the test later. But it's not only that. I think people have a misconception that when you're doing TDD, you need to write a full-blown test and then you need to write a lot of code to pass that test. And that's not what TDD is about. That's exactly the opposite that TDD preaches. So TDD is actually about taking small steps. And this comes from Kent Beck's um, original book. Basically, what he says there is that uh, TDD is all about fast feedback. You know, it's as if you were trying to pull like a, a bucket out of a well, and then you know you pull and you pull and you pull, and if you don't have anything to hold it, if you want to get some rest, you're gonna have to do it all at once. And it's gonna be very tiring, you know. But if you have something to hold it, you can pull a little bit, and then you can stop, think some more, pull a little more, you know. 
And that's what GDD is about. You don't need to write a full-blown test. You can write like a, a simple test, you know, just something very, very simple, just a few lines, and then write some the, the dumbest code that can pass that test, you know. So if you're checking if a function returns true, for example, you can just hard code return true on that function. Right. Just so that you know, at least you are, are you importing it correctly? Is your code even running? And then you can add some more to your test, some more situations to your test. You know, you can try to pass a certain value, like like if this value is odd, return true. And then you go into your function, implement only that. But you still will have it failing if the value, I don't know, um, is even. You know, and then you go and implement that part. So you take small steps. You write a little bit of tests, a little bit of code, a little bit of tests, a little bit of code. It's not about writing full-blown tests and then full-blown piece of code that completely solves it. So that's how I go about it. And it is very helpful for me. And I think that I would recommend people to do the same. But yeah, like I think, as I've mentioned, you know, there's no there's no silver bullet, although I think it's very helpful. So I'd, I'd recommend everyone to try and to read uh, Kent's uh, original book as well, because that's uh, really enlightening when it comes to really understanding GDD. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I always seen that uh, the major block developers face when, when trying TDD for the first time is that uh, problem that you say. I mean, they're sitting there looking at the test, at the empty test, thinking, how do I test something that I haven't written yet? I mean, uh, we're kind of used to think while we code instead of think ahead, trying to think what's the first thing that this this function has to do and then uh, write the, the, the test for it and then yeah. write the code for it. But yeah. Yeah, I think that the the big misconception is that TDD is about tests. TDD is not about tests. TDD is about taking small steps. Right, but it's on the name, you know, test during development. So maybe maybe the name the name wasn't the best. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the yeah. maybe it should be small step driven development. Right, right. <laughs> that would have helped. All right, moving on. A hundred percent test coverage. You mentioned that you you're not a believer in that. So can you expand uh, expand on that? Um, yeah. So I don't I don't believe in one hundred percent coverage because it's it's basically impossible to test all possible inputs that you can you can give to your code when you're testing it. So if you imagine you have a function that takes uh, you know a number, how many numbers can you have in JavaScript? Right. right. Are you going to test every single number there is in JavaScript? To see if the like you know the possible outputs for every single number uh, are correct, that's that's going to be a lot of work. And what if you pass strings? You know, strings. I mean, there's just like a, an infinite amount of input you can give to that function. There's like if you have two parameters, can you imagine all the possible combination of of arguments you can give it? You know, it's just it's just not feasible. And even if you could do that, what about the interpreter that runs your code? Are you going to test it, you know, have it 100% coverage for that as well? Are you going to test, you know, the instructions that are running on your, your CPU? Like, you're not going to do that. So there's one quote um, I really, really like by James O'Coplian from his uh, article, Why Most Unit Testing is Waste, which explains that quite well, I think. And on that uh, article, he says, I define 100% coverage as having examined all possible combinations of all possible paths to all methods of a class having reproduced every possible configuration of data bits accessible to those methods at every machine language instruction along the paths of execution. Anything else is a heuristic about which no formal claim of correctness can be made. The number of possible execution paths to a function is moderate, let's say 10. The cross-product 
of those paths with the possible state configurations of all global data and formal parameters is indeed very large. So the cross product of that number with the possible sequencing of methods within a class is countably infinite. If you plug in some typical numbers, you quickly conclude that you're lucky if you get better coverage than one and ten to the twelfth power. So yeah, I think that perfectly reflects why one cannot have 100% coverage. 100% coverage just determines that 100% of lines in your code can run without crashing just because they've run, but it doesn't guarantee that your application works rightly, and it's impossible to do so. You know, you can have some guarantees with types, and we can talk a bit more about that if you want, but like 100% coverage does not exist. Uh, what exists is 100% of your lines can run. All right, interesting. I've never heard that definition, but I, I guess it, it makes sense. Yeah, you can't really prove 100% of every, that everything will, will run. Um, and then when do you draw the line? When, where do you, when do you say, all right, uh, I, I've written enough unit tests f to be, be able to go to sleep tonight and, and know that uh, this thing is not going to crash for, with the first input that it gets? So one of the things that I'd say to people is that you know bugs will happen. It doesn't matter how many tests you write. It doesn't ma matter how many types you create and you know how beautifully written your program is. And no, no matter how much manual testing you do as well, bugs will happen. Things will crash and you need to be prepared for that. So, you know, you need to have um, to have an observable application so that you can figure out when things fail. You can get alerts quickly. And then you can fix things as quickly as possible. And you can design, you know, resilient applications so that when things fail, it's not critical. You know, but you cannot prevent failures from happening. So that, that will be my number one advice is things will fail and you need to cope with that. So that's that's what's gonna make is gonna make you sleep at night. It's not that bugs will never happen. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they will happen. Definitely. But uh, when it comes to defining how many unit tests uh, to write. What I try to do is I try to test for the limit conditions, as I mentioned. So, you know, if I have three possible paths of execution, I'll test all the three. And I'll use as, like, I'll, I'll try to use types as much as I can to constrain my application as well. Because types is like, they're what, what really proves something cannot happen. Because if something can happen, your program will not compile. You know, if it is possible that you're passing an undefined value to a function that should take, you know, a number, your program will not compile if that possibility even exists. So I try to do that as much as I can. And I think that helps me constrain my tests as well. I have a talk that I presented in uh, Moscow in 2019, which talks exactly about that, about how you can use types to diminish, uh, to, to, to reduce the amounts of possible inputs that you can give to a function so that you can reduce the number of possibilities you have to test. Um, so that's something I try to do. And I'd say that you will never, you, you just never be 100% confident that things will not fail, but you can test thoroughly enough so that you can be confident that at least the, the most common use cases will not fail. And maybe they will only not fail for you know, a certain amount of time because maybe your application will eventually get into a bad state and things will fail. So... Yeah, I'd say you need to be uh, comfortable dealing with failure and your application needs to be resilient so that when things fail, you're prepared. 
Cool. Nice. Nice answer. So what I got from that is TypeScript over JavaScript and monitoring over testing. Kind of. I wouldn't say monitoring over testing. I'd say testing and making sure you've got good monitoring. Right. So going up the pyramid, leaving unit tests aside for a minute, um, do you think, uh, even leaving like integration and, and, and even um, end-to-end test, everything that you can automate, when it comes to checking that a functionality works, do you think conceptually, if you will, that the developer who worked on that feature is the best person to test it? Or do you think the, the implicit bias of you working on something and, and building it yourself is working against the potential problems that you can find yourself versus, you know, having someone else who's completely new to a feature and then testing it as a brand new user. Yeah, so I, I definitely think that you will be biased if you're testing code you've written. 100%. You know, that, that's definitely going to happen because you're, you're just too close to the problem. And, you know, it doesn't need to be, a, you know, a QA professional testing something. It can just be your colleague, you know, your fellow uh, software engineer uh, testing something. Because just the fact that they don't know or at least they, they aren't as close to the code as you are, will will just help a lot. So if someone else can test your code, yeah, go for that. Cool. And on that on that note, what do you think of the role of the testing professional, QA professional uh, on a development team? Uh, because I, I've seen, uh, working as a consultant in the past, I've seen many, many companies, many development teams that don't really rely on that and just have their own developers test the whole thing, you know, from from code to functionality. And they don't, if they can, they don't spend any money or time or resources on someone who's dedicated 100% on, to testing the application or the feature. But again, I've seen also uh, many, many teams that have not really one, but a dedicated sub-team inside the project to fulfill that that role essentially so when it comes to picking if you could would you go for only developers testing even you know cross testing and like like you mentioned or would you definitely have dedicated people for that way to to perform the testing so i think that uh, qa professionals do have a, a very important role in teams i think that you know if you have the time and um if you have the people, it's of course useful to have your developers doing, you know, testing because also if the developers, you know, know a lot about who the end customer is, you know, if they deeply care about the user experience and, you know, what the user, how the user feels when they use the application, I think it's fine to have developers testing the application. But I think that there's, there's a misconception that, you know, QA is just an expensive way to do something that unit tests can do. I, I don't, I don't think that. I think that the, the role of a, a QA professional complements the role of a software engineer. You know? I think that if developers write good enough unit tests, they write good enough integration tests, and they write good enough end-to-end tests, QA professionals can perform some more proactive work. So instead of just testing the same thing on every release, they can simply explore and try to find new, like, uh, new, new bugs or new functionality on you know, using the application in ways that developers never thought was possible. And they can be close to the users and then try to 
to think like users and try to do weird things that users would do that developers didn't think of. So if developers do their part and write good tests, QA can do more proactive work. And at the end of the day, the application gets better because you're just catching more scenarios. You're just you know, um, looking for more quality issues to, to improve on. So I do think QA has uh, a very important role. And it's not that QA cannot write automated tests. They, they can. And, you know, they, they should do whatever whatever they can to make machines do the automatable work. You know, humans shouldn't be doing things too many times. Right? Like, if, you, if you're doing something too many times and a machine could do it for you, you know, it, it's worth considering, you know, making the machine do that for you. So yeah, I think I think both both things, you know, the the, the automated tests and the role of the QA, they they complement each other. They're not um, conflicting. Awesome. Okay, thank you for that. Um, back to a pyramid. For every step of that pyramid, uh, do you have like a preferred set of tools? So yeah, so in JavaScript, um, I do have a preferred set of tools. Um, so I know other languages have their own like recommended frameworks and their own recommended ways of doing things. But I'm going to talk about JavaScript, which is uh, what I write the most. So I, I quite like Jest. So I use Jest uh, a lot. I used to use uh, Synon with Jest, but I think that recently, uh, with the what, what we've done, what what they have done with with timers, replacing the old uh, mechanism they had to to do with faking and controlling time and making things deterministic when it comes to that, uh, they've done some brilliant work there. Um, uh, I I don't I don't have to use sign on that much anymore. I still quite like the API, so sometimes I do. But um, but yeah, I mostly rely on Jest, and then on uh, I also use some some related libraries to do like snapshot testing. You know, so if I'm just trying to you know test some CSS or CSS and JS, I'll use some particular serializers. Um, but yeah, I, I mostly rely on Jest and uh, its ecosystem. Now, when it comes to writing end-to-end tests, I I use Cypress a lot in the past, and and I quite liked it. But more recently, I think that Playwright might be a better choice. You know, uh, it's more lightweight, uh, easier to set up. Documentation is great. Uh, you know, support from like different browsers. I, I love Playwright. I use that quite a lot. Uh, and more recently, uh, I've also written a blog post uh, on Elastic's blog about um, syntactics testing. So basically, how you can just replace your end-to-end tests uh, with journeys written with the syntactics package um, that we have that, that basically allows you to write some tests that run on your machine, run on CI, and then um, you can you can have them running as well continuously on the cloud to you know monitor things as things run. Um, I think all of those are, are good choices. So, so yeah, I think I think there's there's plenty of interesting libraries to to look into. Definitely, all right. Uh, we'll have a link for all these on the show notes, uh, so people can find them if they don't know about them. Now, last question on the topic: Can you please talk about a little bit about your book? Tell your audience uh, what's in it and why they would want to read it. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, my book is called Testing JavaScript Applications. Uh, it's published by Manning, and on it I talk a lot about the the different parts of the PyMedge. You know, I give you practical examples of how to test a web application, uh, both writing unit tests, integration tests, and end-to-end tests. I talk a lot about how it's uh, the PyMedge is actually I see it as a spectrum at least, um, and you know what you need to think about when you're considering 
what quality guarantees you're going to get for the test you're writing. So if I had to summarize my book in one sentence, I'd say it's ROI-focused testing. It's not just, you know, always do this or always do that. I teach you how to make the trade-offs and how you can you can evaluate whether something should be done or shouldn't be done. You know, what are the benefits you get and how do you think about the trade-offs? I think that's that's a good a good summary. And, you know, I cover many tools on the book. I cover Jest. Uh, I talk a little bit about many other different testing libraries, the different serializers. Uh, I talk about Cypress on it as well. Snapshot comparison, like a, a bunch of things. So uh, TDD as well um, has an entire chapter to it. So yeah, if you're looking for for a book that's going to not only teach you how to write tests, but why you should do it and when to do it, I, I'd say that's that's why my book will, will teach you. Nice, nice. So I highly recommend it then for all developers, especially new ones, but also old ones as well, uh, to check it out and, and not only pick up the tools, but also understand the philosophy behind them. So absolutely. Cool. Let's go through the last quick three questions I ask all guests so that we can get your insight on your experience. Can you share with us the best advice you ever received? The best advice I've ever received? Um, I think that this this is an advice I got when I was uh, still an intern. So I remember uh, at my last day on this on this company that I was doing an internship at my manager was talking to me you know about like all the like all the the things we've done and you know just doing a, a, a retro a retro on my on my on my time there and one of the advice uh, he's given me was to not only accept how things work but to understand how they work and this was in the context that you know sometimes you're gonna see an example and you're going to, you know, write down the same thing as in the example and you're going to see it working and you're just going to move on. But being curious and trying to understand why that works and digging deeper has helped me a lot. So, you know, going into libraries I like and reading the source code and just being curious in general about how things work, I think that's that's the best advice uh, I have received. Absolutely. That makes sense also. I mean, if you copy paste, make it work, there's no learning there. So I agree, agree with the manager. Um, what is the most exciting project you worked on? Most exciting project? Um, well, I've, I've seen quite, quite a lot of interesting uh, projects around. But I'd say that particularly Chai.js was, was super interesting to me um, because at that time, I, I was writing JavaScript for a while, but not not as much time, you know. And writing a, an assertion library taught me a lot about how the language works and all the the quirks and weird things that JavaScript has. Because when you're writing a test, testing library, you need to be prepared for many many weird scenarios, you know, many weird ways of doing things. So you end up learning a lot of meta programming, you know. You have to think a lot about, you know, what what you're going to implement in library. And what you're not going to implement in library, because at the same time that you want to give users flexibility, you don't want to allow them just uh, like abuse bad practices. You know, you don't have to, you don't want to have an API which incentivizes bad practices. So I think Chai.js was, I'm, I'm not sure if it was the most interesting because I've worked on plenty of interesting things, but I think it was the most transformative one for my career. All right, cool. Uh, a lot of people use these libraries that are like intrinsic to the way the language works, and which is 
don't really sit and try to think about the work that goes be, uh, inside those libraries to get to, to work the way they do. So it's uh, interesting to have your insight on that. Last question. What is one thing you wish you knew when you first started coding? I think I, I wish I had said it depends more often. You know, I think when you... When you start uh, in this role, you know, I think uh, many people get into software engineering because they think everything is going to be exact and decisions will be, you know, easy to make because you're just going to look at some numbers and then you're going to, you know, make always, always make the best decision. But truth is, um, you can make numbers say whatever you want them to say. And every situation has so many caveats and so many things to consider that you need to be comfortable saying it depends because it always depends on many things. And I think uh, seniority is very closely related to how often you say it depends and how well you consider what, what things depend on. So I wish I knew that earlier and I saw more shades of gray instead of seeing things uh, in black and white, uh, I'd say, um, yeah. Wisdom, definitely. All right. Thank you uh, for your time, Lucas. It was really fun uh, and interesting to have you here. Please tell your audience where they can find you and, and we'll just... Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was my pleasure as well, Fernando. Uh, so thanks a lot for the invite again. And yeah, if people want to, to find me, they can go to my website. That's lucasf for Foxtrot. Uh, costa.com so lucasfcosta.com you can find my github there which is lucasfcosta and you can find me on twitter at the wizard lucas all those links are on my website and you know if you want to read my musings about software you know uh, my thoughts on how to solve problems yeah my website is is the place to go awesome all right thanks again and uh, that's it folks catch you on the next one